Hello. This episode was brought to you with horrific equipment. Unfortunately, we had technical problems. Those technical problems being my microphone it is awful. Uh, it sounds like I'm rustling a bag of peanuts in the background of the whole episode, which is not ideal. Uh, it's not the it's not the effect I was going for. That's just how it sounded after a couple of hours of recording, and then I go and listen back to it. We're all learning, just not very fast. I've now invested in a far better microphone, and by the time we record the next episode, I should have figured out how to use that. So that's something to look forward to. Hopefully, you can get through this one without getting too pissed off with the with the rustling peanuts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris, I'm joined by Matt, and this is Season 1, Episode 6, Sturgill Simpson. Chris, I can't believe that you, um, <laughs> I still can't believe that you left the uh, the cliff of me forgetting Sturgill's name on uh, Episode 5 <laughs> when you were editing, like, you left that in. But did you remember who he was and you couldn't remember his name, or you couldn't remember who we were doing for the next episode? No, I, I remembered the man had his face in my head, but I just couldn't, um. I couldn't get the name in my out of my mouth is it the first Sturgill you've ever known yeah I don't know any other Sturgills do you know any other Sturgills definitely I don't know any other Sturgills no I think it was but isn't is Sturgill like a it's a family name so it's his middle name isn't it yeah it's his middle name but I think I think he was named that because it's a family name from his mother's side or something it comes from someone it comes from he's inherited it from someone it's a it's a okay yeah I probably should have come with facts really shouldn't I rather than just making up yeah well I just looked it up the name Sturgill um, was given to a member of the family who resembles a sturgeon. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually what Google says. As in the fish? So, yeah, the original bearer bore some fanciful resemblance to the North European fish of the same name. <laughs> so, so Sturgill Simpson means a guy who looks like a fish. <laughs> okay. Oh, God, this isn't a good place to start the episode, is it? <laughs> Was that one of the questions today? What does the name Sturgill mean? Yeah, that's mean? it. You've got, you've got five out of five. Yes. <laughs> See you next week. Brilliant. Love it. <laughs> well, we recorded uh, Paula Cole a couple of days ago. So actually, we've um, we've had a bit of a catch up already. But yeah, yeah. I did. I have been listening to a bit of country lately, and I deliberately didn't mention that in Paula Cole's episode. Sneaky. So I've been listening to some Chris Stapleton, Traveller. Such a good album. Yeah. There was his debut album, and since then he's become, in the US, he's become a superstar. Um, mm. But it's still a really great piece of work, that album, Traveller. It's really, really good. And for, yeah. for purists, I suppose I'd say it's very commercial and it's pop country. But you can't, you know, stuff becomes pop because it's, I don't know, pop means popular, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it becomes pop because that album's very well written. It's got very catchy choruses to it. Um, and Chris Stapleton could sing Death Marches, and I'd still listen to it. Like, he's just yeah. got such an amazing voice. Seems like a cool guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I really like him. It's to- totally effortless for him to sing. Like, well, watching him sing, he's he's all in his head. He's, like, not even thinking about it. Yet the sounds coming out of his mouth are still on another level. Yeah. A, bit of a bit of a Chris Stapleton fanboy, I think. Yeah, I can I can tell. <laughs> and, then, and then what else I've been listening to? Just yesterday, actually, I just discovered... And I told you about it already, but I discovered Stacey Lattisaw. Okay. Let me be your angel. I was watching an interview with with Danny Brown, and he mentioned Stacey Lattisaw. And I couldn't tell if he was being serious or he, it was tongue-in-cheek. But either way, I checked it out, the album Let Me Be Your Angel. 
It's amazing. Like it's such a good album. Like it See? looks. The front cover is one of the the worst album covers I've ever seen in my life for what it is. <laughs> she's a white girl yeah. singing funk and soul, and because she's white. They really need to funk up the album cover a lot to get people interested. But they've gone completely the other way. And there's a little white girl wearing a plaid shirt and dungarees <laughs> with really bad text over her head that says Stacey Lattisaw. But the, the words are too long. So the L is behind her head a bit. So they've just put the L yeah. on an angle just to go round her head. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. Yeah, it's really dumb. It looks like a weird, like, amateur country western album. It does. It totally looks like, like it totally looks like an amateur country album. <laughs> yeah. It looks like she's going to do some line dancing. Yeah, exactly. With a fi- She's got her thumbs in her pockets, but her yeah. hands on her hands outside. Oh, it's just weird, yeah. isn't it? I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. But from what I can yeah, gather, it cool... was fairly successful, right? So Yeah, well, she's a really cool cool singer and that was it was a successful r&b album she was only 13 when that album came out really yeah i didn't realize that until this morning i was just doing a bit of googling on that and um yeah it definitely does raise some question marks over songs like you don't love me anymore and stuff like you wouldn't you wouldn't nowadays hear a 13 year old singing you don't love me anymore i don't think no well, I'm not a 13 no, year old girl anyway. 13 year old boy, maybe. But. Yeah, well, I mean, wasn't Justin Bieber doing things like that? Yeah, Justin Bieber was. But I think it's a bit different from a lad, isn't it? Well, it's still inappropriate. Um, okay. Is it? I don't know. It's it's a bit strange. I mean, it's, you know, Michael Jackson, I guess he was an extreme example, wasn't he? He was only, yeah. was only like six or seven, and he's singing about heartbreak and. That's different a time, wasn't it? Different time. Yeah. That's about it from the music cool. front. What about you? Is there anything I don't know about? Nothing you don't know about. I mean, um, I've been listening to public service broadcasting, which I messaged you about. Yeah, I did really like that. Yeah, they're they're really fun. They remind me a bit of like Kraftwerk, I think, okay. in some of their electronic stuff. It's it's basically like I, I thought I thought I'd call them post rock because you know, they, they feel like like very clever instrumentals that um have got they've got like excerpts of old TV shows, broadcasting, documentaries, news, yeah. that sort of thing. So everyone's everyone talks very old fashioned. And and the songs are about Sputnik and going into space, about the Spitfire, about climbing Mount Everest. And they're really fun. They're really really sort of catchy riffs and funky yeah. energy and yeah, they're really, really interesting. Yeah, I really liked the out. Well, I listened to one album called Inspire Something Educate, I think. Inform, Educate, Entertain. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, I really liked it. Really liked it. Yeah. It really reminded me of um, DJ Shadow, particularly like the Private Press album by DJ Shadow, which I think is a great compliment because I think that album's amazing. Yeah. I like the the, yeah. the 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 contrast of the funky beats and then the old school old school recordings. <laughs> yeah, it really. Works. I see. I say, is that a bird? No, it's a plane. Yeah. Oh, I say. <laughs> who else does that? Is it who? Who sings? Um, all the ducks are swimming in the water. Do you know that one? <laughs> um, that lemon no. jelly. Lemon jelly. Le- is that lemon jelly? I don't. Know. I thought that was a. I thought that was a nursery rhyme. Jelly. I'll have to check that out. I'm. Oh. I'm. I'm sold. And they got some really good horn parts in. Yeah. In the later stuff, like really funky, uh, horn section. Yeah. Yeah, they're clever. I like it. Good. Good call that one. Clever chaps. Did you see that? Um, I don't suppose you did. It's, it's a fairly niche thing to have seen, but <laughs> did you know the, the you know the the series of films, The Conjuring? Yes. You know, there's a new Conjuring out. There's a, there's a number three. Yes. The out. The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah, I don't. I saw the trailer. I don't think it looks that. They've gone a bit too over the top. I think uh, for me, a good horror movie's got to be a bit more subtle. Yeah. It does look those good. aren't those? They're definitely not subtle. Those films. No. 
but um, I saw online so the house from the original Conjuring movie is up for sale. For so is that the house that they used? Or no, no, the, the house it was that based they, on. So the the movies were based on the life of real life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh uh, yes, yeah. And the the house that the store. So all all three of the movies were ba- are cases that they worked on. Yeah. And the story from the first movie, the house that that was set in, the actual house in real life, oh, right. is now up for sale for wow. it's about £900,000. And uh, it's, it's so good. Google it. But there's Sotheby's are selling it. And the, you know how like on, on house sales now you get like a, like a video walkthrough? So they've, Sotheby's have filmed a video walkthrough like a horror movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like an amateur, amateur horror trailer. Yeah. But it's filmed by an estate agents. <laughs> oh my god! And they got this one bit where there's I th- I'm pr- I'm, I think it's a guy dressed up as a woman in a in like a white dress and got black wig on it, like rocking in a rocking chair, like just trying to look all More. scary on that. But it's like, oh, that was probably someone at the estate agents, wasn't it? Like, probably, yeah. It was probably the that's intern. Just, <laughs> that's such a strange way to to sell a house, but I guess they can't avoid. Yeah, they're the totally playing on it. They're like, this it is, is what it is. Yeah, they're not going to sell it without playing on that. They're, it's going to be bought by someone who knows its history and is interested in that history. Um, exactly. Apparently, the, the current owners, who I don't know if they live there or not, but they own the property, they do ghost tours and stuff like that. That's um, that's how they make a, an income. So. Might as well make it, you know, make it worth your while. Yeah, and it's being it's it's advertised as the most haunted house in in America. Yeah, they always say that though, don't they? Yeah, there's probably like four hundred thousand most haunted houses in America. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 okay films. Um, I quite, I find the Warrens quite interesting people. Yeah, I was watching um, an interview with them both uh, yesterday about the case that the third one is based on. I think this interview was in about eighty two or eighty three, the early eighties. Yeah, it's it's fun watching like just the way they talked back then and the, the way they're interacting with the with the TV presenter. It's all just very proper and rigid, and not how TV is nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So, Are we going to have to do like a Halloween special? In the next episode, or in a couple of weeks? No, in a couple of episodes' time. Which reminds me, actually, talking about darkness, you've reminded me of something else I wanted to talk about. I was talking with the wife a couple of days ago about some particular individuals who uh, you don't really want to support their, their music anymore, like Marilyn Manson. Don't know if I'd really want to. You know, he's not. I don't know if he's been convicted of anything just yet, but it's looking like he probably will. And obviously, R. Kelly. Mm. That you know, the the judgment came out yesterday that he's he's guilty of of these offences. But you know, on the Marilyn Manson subject, for example, like growing up, I liked a lot of Marilyn Manson music and I listened to a lot of his. I owned a few CDs. And even in recent years, you know, I've streamed a lot of his music. But you know, twenty years ago, I would have had some CDs by him. And quite honestly, regardless of whether he went to prison or not for any kind of offences that I was disgusted by, I would still listen to his CDs because it's the music that I like. It's not the man. Now, the difference is nowadays, I don't, I'm not listening to CDs. I'm listening, to, I'm streaming music. So if I continue to listen to his music, I'm continuing to pay him a fee. Yes. I'm continuing to support someone, a, a criminal. And so, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, it, that does kind of affect you know the way that the music industry is changing, and the way that we we the way that music is sold these days is affecting how you know what music I listen to. And yeah, I just thought that was quite interesting, especially on the Marilyn Manson subject, because that is someone that I would that I do listen to. But you know, there's some pretty horrible accusations against him at the minute, and it doesn't look very good for him. So I'm thinking, well, should I just make a point now of just not streaming his music in future because I don't want to support him anymore, which is a shame because I do want to listen to that music. 
Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Oh man, this is a really deep conversation again. <laughs> so so early in the morning. <laughs> uh, I I don't know really. I mean, it's something that I I don't think I can intellectually unpack <laughs> at this minute, but. I know it's, it is a complicated one. I mean, I was talking to someone recently who, who loves David Bowie and her kids, you know, they're, they're always looking up things on the internet and they, they told her, oh, you can't listen to David Bowie anymore because he had some kind of sexual relations with a 13 year old or 14 year old. Uh, so now it's not okay to listen to David Bowie. Mm. And my, my friend was really upset, <laughs> mainly because she loves David Bowie. <laughs> Yeah, then, it doesn't change the music, does it? It, it yeah. doesn't change the music, no. But then, but then, you know, oh, you wouldn't listen to Gary Glitter, would you? you? Just no, I guess not. But that it's a, it's a hard comparison because I don't like Gary Glitter's music. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, exactly. You can't compare the music of Gary Glitter and Dave Bowie anyway. Yeah, yeah it's a difficult <laughs> one, but it's definitely like, yeah, it definitely made me think that you know, to, if this had happened twenty years ago when I had you know, four or five Marilyn Manson albums on CD. I would have continued listening to those albums on CD. I wouldn't have questioned it because I'd have thought, yeah, okay, he's a dick, but I like this music. I'm going to continue listening to this music. But now I'm yeah. not considering just, I'll um, just cut that music out. I just won't stream that anymore because there's a, a an impact of me streaming that. I mean, I guess I wouldn't judge anybody listening to Marilyn Manson for, for the art that he's made. Yeah. I would if they think, oh yeah, I love I love him as a person and the things that he does. That's why I'm going to listen to his music. Um, I don't know. It's oh, it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. Yeah. Because some artists I don't feel. I love to think about it. I mean, some artists I feel really uncomfortable listening to, and others I don't. But other people would. I mean, some people feel uncomfortable listening to Michael Jackson. I mean, I don't know if I could ever not listen to him because because yeah. of the the amazing effect of on music that he's had. Yeah. And and the incredible production and musicianship and all this stuff you know I'm a, I'm a huge Quincy Jones fan yeah. it's it's just it's just always going to be there part of my you know favorite favorite music yeah but then I you know if, if people say I'm not going to listen to Michael Jackson I I understand that too it's a tricky conversation it's a tricky conversation I don't think super fancast is is the place to, <laughs> to, no. to come up with the answer I want to tread very lightly <laughs> yeah all right we better get into it then <laughs> John Sturgill Simpson was born in 1978 in Jackson, Kentucky. He formed the country rock band Sunday Valley in 2004. Sunday Valley recorded an EP that year and played locally, but ultimately Sturgill felt this was not a career path for him, so he moved out to Utah and began working on the railroad. By 2010, Sturgill had had enough and wanted to make a real go of the music career. The Sunday Valley uh, reformed. Uh, in fact, I think they were, I think they were together. Oh god, I'm I'm veering off my notes here. I think they were together that whole time, maybe, and some of the guys from Sunday Valley were performing, but there was no Sturgill there. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But either way, 2010, they they got back together again as the as the old guys. They released their first album, To the Wind and Onto Heaven, in January 2011, uh, and then a year later, Sturgill began working on a new album to be released under the name Sturgill Simpson. Originally, he was thinking Sturgill Simpson and the High Top Mountain Boys, but he dropped that mm. and it became Sturgill Simpson. He released that on his own uh, High Top Mountain label. By his third solo album in 2016, Sturgill was making the top 10 on the Billboard charts and earning Grammys and Americana awards. In 2021, he has now released his seventh studio album, 
and made a name for himself as one of the most versatile and unique voices in country music. And that is a little introduction to Sturgill Simpson. All right. So, uh, do you want to go first, Matt? What's uh, what's your history? <laughs> well, <laughs> I know this one. I mean, I forgot his name in the last, <laughs> in the last episode. Um, that's a bit embarrassing. Uh, well, absolutely zero. I mean, when you when you suggested him, I didn't. The name didn't ring a bell. But then, country western isn't really a big thing in the UK. Really not. I guess sort of older country is quite popular with older people here but it's it's totally I'm not even a country I don't know much about country at all I mean you know when I was at college doing studying music you know we we listened to uh, the Dixie Chicks all right <laughs> and who else Brad Paisley okay so you've listened to a bit of country uh yeah a little bit yeah I mean I, I learned to appreciate it because a lot of people here they just automatically assume that country is just all sounds the same and it's really banal um you know american nationalist yeah uh very boring kind of it's you know it's they're not very impressed by it and it's got a bit of a yeah it's got a bit of a stigma around it it has Uh, and then and then when i listen to country music a lot more i realize wow these guys are super talented yeah uh and and it does cover a lot of a lot of bases it's a very it's a very versatile um genre in terms of its sounds and it's you know what the what the songs are about it is uh, strange so... where, where country is in the uk like it's it's uh, it, con- it constantly blows my mind how how the uk is managing to avoid country music so successfully <laughs> like really there's just it's just nowhere there's one mm. country station here called chris country that that i know of um and other than that, there's no radio play of country music at all. And even no. country stars in the US that are hitting, you know, getting number ones in the Billboard charts, consistent top tens, they're mm. just not heard of here. People just don't know yeah. their name. Yeah, like, like you know, the, these. you look at these uh, lists of the, the most uh, or, or the best-selling artists in the US, and some of them are country, and yeah. I'm just like, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's weird. There's a strange divide there. Which I don't I don't see why why it has to be there. So so yeah, Sturgill was a completely new artist to me, and yeah, I just gave him a good, gave him a good listen, checked out a few interviews, and read up on him, and yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by him, and I would listen to him again. Mm. What about yourself? So I do like a bit of country music. I first discovered Sturgill Simpson. So I first discovered Sturgill Simpson. I was listening to some Chris Stapleton, and somebody recommended to me to to check out his Saturday Night Live performance that he did with Sturgill Simpson, and I did. And I can't remember what song was they were singing. It was a Chris Stapleton song, and Sturgill was there as well. And I wasn't impressed by it. I thought that uh, without being too nasty, I think Sturgill's got a bit of an arrogant face. <laughs> like, he wasn't wow. he wasn't contributing too much, but he he looked very smarmy standing next Fish to Chris face. Stapleton and yeah, with his sturgeon face. And I just wasn't very impressed by him. I just thought, oh, he's not really, he's not really doing anything that Chris Stapleton couldn't do. I mean, they're wildly different musicians, but based off that performance, didn't know that. And so I kind of forgot about it. I moved on. And then uh, a while later, this was actually beginning of this year when I was up, up your way, I was checking out Post Malone's country gig that he did. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, he did, I think it was a charity thing he did where he got together with, whose band did he get together with? I can't remember whose band was supporting him, but he was just doing country songs. And um, I really like Post Malone. He's a cool guy. I don't like his, his pop music, 
but I like him as a person and I like his passion for music and I think he played country really well. I think that's something he should do more. And one of the songs that he played on that on that show that he did was You Can Have the Crown by Sturgill Simpson. And mm. probably to this day still, Sturgill fans, close your ears for a second. I think I still prefer Post Malone singing You Can Have the Crown. Uh, I think he just does it really well. Uh, I really like the, the soul that he puts into it. Um, but anyway, that, that song <laughs> I thought was, it's so well written, that song. And what what's so great about You Can Have the Crown is the lyrics, really. And that's one of Sturgill's many strengths. He's such an amazing lyricist. And listening to that song a couple of times, I thought, okay, I need to need to check out Sturgill Simpson. I need to give him another try. So I um, I downloaded uh, Cut and Grass Volume 1, and I just listened to that album a lot over the last, what, nine months or something? Mm-hmm. Really, really yeah. loved that album. For whatever reason, I didn't check out any of his other albums uh, in that period, uh, but I really like Cut and Grass. And so because you like I... like Cut and Grass? Can you, can you <laughs> really come like over and do mine? <laughs> my, my garden's looking a little bit bad. But it is. We got our slight tangent. We got our garden re-turfed. So we had a bit of a mess of a garden. And we got it re-turfed just before the summer. Or just during the summer. And so this we've got 100 square metres of, of turf out the back now. It's not loads. But it's just, you're constantly cutting it, aren't you? It's constantly. Yeah, I know. It's, it feels like it's every annoying. week I have to cut it. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you... I guess when you live in a big city and you don't have a garden, you think, oh, it'd be nice to have a bit of grass. Yeah outside and then once you've got it you're like oh it just doesn't stop growing no one told me that before i got the turf so annoying. this is always going to grow anyway that was, they just that's that yeah 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 <laughs> but yes cutting grass the the album really really like it that's I've, I've heard that album a lot and it does mean that i've heard most of his songs as bluegrass versions before mm. i heard any of his, his his other music right which does kind of set a different uh, way of listening to his other albums because those are originals that I'm hearing on the other albums but I've obviously got them in my mind as bluegrass songs but anyway we'll, we'll get mm. into that cool okay I will ask five questions to help us discover a bit more about Sturgill Simpson we'll then be asking those five questions to a self-proclaimed superfan to find out if they are a fan or a fraud Today's superfan is Shane from North Carolina, who we're going to meet a little bit later. You're going to get one point per correct answer. Five points means you can earn the title of superfan, and any less than that, you'll be somewhere on your way to becoming a fraud. Yeah, I'm definitely a fraud. You're a fraud already, are you? Yeah. (laughs) All right, so question one. What is Simpson's first solo album, High Top Mountain, named after? Ah, this is named after... Is this named after a cemetery? Where many of his family are buried. Yeah, you get the point. I get the point, yes. Yeah. Named after a cemetery near Jackson, Kentucky, where, yeah, lots of his family are buried. That's about it, really. Right. It's also the name yeah. of his record label, um, and also the name he was going to he was going to call the band before he decided to just go solo as, as Sturgill Simpson. So okay. it's pretty important to him. It's quite a family man anyway, though. Like, Yeah, there's a lot of family in his music. Yeah, yeah, it's very important to him. Yeah. What do you think of High Top Mountain? Oh, um... I really like it. Yeah, I like it. Um, it's the most pure country album that he's done. I would say it's mm, it, yeah, it's got quite a commercial country sound. I don't think he was he wasn't experimenting at that point. It wasn't mm. until, in fact, right after this, until Metamodern, that he really found himself. But that said, you know, it's it's still got his, his his amazing songwriting on there, and a lot of the songs that are on there are songs that I knew anyway from from Cut and Grass. 
I really like it, but I think because it's not got much character on a high top mountain, I don't think. It is just a platform for his good songwriting, and personally I prefer the way that those songs are performed in, in the bluegrass style. So it's probably not my favourite album, but I, I yeah, I, I would still listen to High Top Mountain. I don't think, well, there is one album we'll, we'll get into that I probably won't listen to much in the future, but I would still listen to High Top Mountain moving forward. What about you? Mm. I mean, it's very pure country, isn't it? It's, you know, it's, it's beautifully produced. Mm. It sounds lovely. But yeah, it's... it's um. I prefer his other stuff just because I like I like things that are a little bit weird and wacky and step out of the uh, the paradigm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've 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 got a quote from from him actually about the album. In that instance with this album, I definitely felt like there wasn't really much interest in who I was really wanting to be. We made a Waylon Jennings record, and I've been trying to shake that off ever since. I can't oh, listen right. to it. I can't listen to it. It's so slick and clean. I can play those songs live and still love them, but I can't listen to that record. It was a commercial record disguised as a traditional album, and to my ears, it's just too safe. Uh, so, you know, he's... Yeah, it's, it was his way of, I guess, become making a name for himself, I think. Yeah. That all makes sense, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and everyone... Well, so many interviews and articles I've read, they talk about him sounding like Waylon Jennings. Yes, um, yeah. he does get that. And, and yeah. this whole outlaw country sound. Yeah, he, he played um, it safe with this with this album, which is kind of understandable. You know, he played it safe. It was his first solo foray, and I imagine, well, also his first attempt to really genuinely making a living off this. I know he he had technically done that on the on that Sunday Valley release, but I think you know that was a taster, and now he was probably after uh, that Sunday Valley album. He thought, Do you know what, yeah, this is the right path for me. I'm going to give it 100%. Yeah. So yeah, it, it makes sense that he played it a bit safe, uh, mm -hmm. but it worked out. On his um, on his label, so he only self-publishes under the name uh, High Top Mountain. Uh, is it the label called High Top Mountain, isn't it? I think um, so. No one else has ever been published under that, that label, so it's just him. But it's very in character of him to do that because he hates the man. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and the little time he has spent with major labels appears to have not been a good experience for him. Um, oh, I've got another quote from him. There's been a lot of quotes from him, I think, in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a mouth. Uh, he said, I was manipulated into thinking I needed a record contract when I knew I never did by certain individuals who aren't even in my life anymore because they had their own back channel deals working behind the scenes that nobody tells you about until the ink's dry. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot of opinions about record labels and Mm. Well, just the industry generally. I don't think he likes the music industry much at all. We we do we do hate on the industry a lot in these in this podcast, don't we? Well, it's it can be a bit of a dark horse, can't it? Yeah, yeah. The cover art for this album. Do you know who the mm. cover artist was? Not a clue. Some some was it some old lady who knitted a quilt together? <laughs> no, it is it is an artist. It is a proper artist. I couldn't like generally on most of his albums. I couldn't find much about the cover art. There's not there's not a great deal about. It. But this album, uh, the artist is a guy called Jim Harris. Um, he's still active and present online. You can buy his works on Pixels.com and I'm sure other other online markets. It does look like a um, stained glass window. It does though. look like a stained glass window? Yeah, it's a nice album cover. It's I think it's it it represents the music that the, this album contains. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 on the right level. I think this album cover. Yeah, don't have much more to cool. say about High Top Mountain, to be honest. No, cool. Okay, well, that was one point better than I thought I'd get. Let's keep going. Let's keep going, Matt. Keep going. Question two: Who is Dude Fraley, who features on Turtles All the Way Down? Oh, dude! Oh, dude! Oh, the guy who talks at the start is it? That's his grandfather. It is his grandfather. Yeah. Yes. 
I thought this was a good question, and it completely slipped my mind that his new album is named after his grandfather as well. So, yeah. as, a, as a standalone question, if he hadn't just released The Ballad of Dude and Juanita, then this would be a great question. Mm. His real name's Lawrence. Yeah, I don't know where Dude came from. It's a good nickname, though, isn't it? Just because he's, he's, he's a bit of a dude. Maybe that's what it is. He is a bit of a dude, though. I've got a bit of, yeah. I've got a bit of stuff to say on, uh, on Dude Friday. Have you? Yeah. Um, so, is is Juanita his grandmother? His grandmother, yeah. Okay. So the so the ballad of Dude and Juanita is uh, a make believe story about his real grandparents. Mm-hmm. So they are really his yeah. grandparents, but the story of the ballad of Dude and Juanita is is made up. The real Dude Fraley, Lawrence Dude Fraley, was born in 1929 in Perry County, Kentucky. He served in the Air Force, uh, and then he went on to work in the coal mines, like I guess pretty much every other young man in that area at that time. Kentucky mm-hmm. was a was a really big coal mining area not since the eighteen hundreds and then at at that time when when Lawrence Fraley was a was of working age during and after the Second World War there was this massive boom in the coal industry and Kentucky was mm-hmm. um, just got taken over with the, with the coal industry so it was a pretty rough bloke he was one of twelve children WTF I mean twelve children wow twelve children Matt imagine That's giving birth to twelve children I well, imagine feeding them and you know looking after them every day like. I'm literally not coping with two children. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not coping with one. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, 12 children. Good Um, for them. Yeah, so by all accounts, um, a massive influence on young Sturgill. Mm. He sadly passed in 2017. And in speaking about this, Sturgill said, he was without a single doubt the greatest man and finest human being I will ever know in my time here on Earth. Uh, And there will never, ever be another man like him. My pawpaw, which is what he called him, taught mm-hmm. me to play country music, and more importantly, he taught me to love country music. Above all else that has happened in my life and career, nothing comes close to knowing that he lived long enough to see this. Wow, that's that's a cool uh, endorsement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he um, he truly, truly loved his uh, his grandfather. He also wrote so on High Top Mountain. Actually, back to High Top Mountain, there's a song on there called Hero, which is about uh, his grandfather as well. Mm, oh, nice. Um, and in 2017, his grandfather was buried at High Top Mountain Cemetery. Of course, of course. There you go. Yeah. So that's that's track one on um, on the uh, Metamodern turtles all the way mm. down. So what's your what's your uh, review of Metamodern sounds and country music? I quite like it. Yeah, I like the um, I like the lyrics. They're you know they're very trippy and poetic, and you know it's it's not what I would expect country to sound like. And it all sounds really good. I mean, it's the same. It's the same producer, isn't it? It's Dave Cobb again, yeah, for yeah, both those yeah. two albums. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like it. It's 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 interesting. It's a good example of, of how country music can explore different topics. Yeah. It's definitely interesting and it's definitely him discovering himself and experimenting and giving a bit of his personality. There was not a lot of personality on High Top Mountain, that's what it was missing. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And Metamodern definitely has has a lot of, more of his personality in there. Yeah, and, and yeah, so the lyrics go on about Jesus and Buddha and taking drugs and mm. you know loving everybody, meditation. Yeah, the drugs thing. So he's he's talked a bit about that in that I think quietly he probably regrets putting so much of that into Metamodern sounds and country music. 
Um, mm. Because he does talk about how people kind of pigeonhole him and uh, mm. think that he's a bit of a junkie and he's not. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah. he says he falls yeah. off the wagon sometimes and he has he's he's had some problems and, and whatever. And and certainly as a child, not a child, as a, as a teen, whatever, young adult, before he shipped himself off to to the military or to the navy, mm. wasn't it? He went to the navy. He um yeah. he was experimenting with LSD and he got into a bit of trouble. He did. He hasn't really talked about that as far as I can tell as to what trouble he got into, but he says he's, he's signed up to the Navy because he was getting into a bit of trouble. Yeah, yeah. So, but he has mentioned that he was kind of experimenting with LSD at that time. So he, you know, he's had, he's had some experiences, but I don't think, you know, he's a family man now. He's got, he's got three yeah. young boys now, I think, and um, seems like a good, good husband and good father. So I, I don't think he's doing that now. He's been on Joe Rogan about four times, I think. Oh, right. And, and, and Rogan always slips drugs in there somehow. Um, yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, but um, I think I think Sergil said he takes medical marijuana, which isn't smoked. Right. Um, and because of that, he has to have an insane life insurance policy of about seven grand a year in case he dies due to marijuana. <laughs> right. How often do people um, die due to marijuana? I know, but but he, he he talks about that. He says like it's ridiculous. You know, like how how often do people die from marijuana as opposed to terrible life choices and eating too much or drinking too much mm. and and he says why is there a badge of honor with drinking lots but not with getting high like getting high has got a stigma about it whereas mm. drinking lots is a bit of a you know you, you you seem like a bit of a hero i guess yeah in some circles yeah he's been a bit the last uh 24 months he's um his health has had a bit of a turn for the worse hasn't it so he had covid early last year mm. Um, and that seemed to to really affect him. And he's uh, I saw a recent or listened to a recent interview with him where he was talking about the long term effects he's 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 had of COVID. You know I don't know anyone that's really suffered from from COVID, so I don't know what kind of long term effects there are. But he but it seems to have have had a long term effect on him. And then recently he's just been cancelling everything, hasn't he? He's he's cancelled all his concerts for the whole year. Yeah. Um, I've been following some Facebook groups, and there's a lot of people posting it was really sad actually to see they were posting pictures of themselves driving to the gig like all really happy and yeah. excited and then a few hours later them posting pictures of them in a bar drinking saying oh well, this was a waste of loads of money yeah. <laughs> you know it's and and he said um he's annoyed and embarrassed that they didn't announce it until like 10 minutes before the gig but he said it's probably because the venues wanted to sell more beers that's it. Yeah, I saw that comment. He's probably not wrong. No, he's probably not wrong. It's it's a shame. But he has cancelled uh, a lot of dates now moving forward. So um, mm. he's been fairly open about that. Um, other dedications that he's made, not just to his grandfather, but as we said, he is a bit of a family man. So A Sailor's Guide to Earth is dedicated to his son. Not just dedicated to his son, but I mean, the whole album is a letter to his son, really. Yeah. He, is it like, um, it's like life advice? Yeah. Guide to Living to his infant son. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't read into the lyrics too heavily and I didn't know that that's the, that was the purpose of the album when I first listened to it. And I liked the album, but then after knowing more about it, I hear it differently now. And I like the album a lot mm. more now, mm. knowing, seeing it from that perspective. You know, he went yeah. he, he released Med Modern Sounds uh, right before his son was born. No, the other way around. Right. I think his son was born right before Med Modern Sounds came out. And then he promptly went out on tour. And so he feels he missed much of those early milestones. So he chose to dedicate his next album to his son. And he said he, he felt he could say much more in songs than he ever could in conversation. 
Mm. Which I'm I'm paraphrasing massively, but you get the you get the gist of it. I um I love a Sailor's Guide to Earth. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a really good album, isn't it? Yeah, it's a the 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 strings, the you know all the orchestral parts, the horns, all the dynamics. It's it's really really pretty. Yeah, it's it's really inspired where he's decided to come from with that album. Um, mm. Because I don't feel there's there's many other artists out there that kind of set a precedent for him to for him to work from. He's um, he's been very I don't want to keep using the word experimental, but yeah, he, he's kind of created his own sound. What he thought sounded yeah. good sounded yeah. right. Unfortunately, there are a few tracks on Sailor's Guide to Earth that have um, that for me again because I listened to Cutting Grass first and and knew that album inside out and back to front. There's a few songs mm. that I I know in the bluegrass style that I really like as bluegrass songs. All around you is is pretty my favorite Sturgill Simpson song, but I like it as a bluegrass song because that's that's how I learned it. Mm. That's interesting. You're coming from that angle, so I guess I guess everything before cutting grass just it might sound like a cover version. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds. I think I think you know bluegrass is punchy and a bit faster and a bit punchier, and yeah. a lot of the original versions of those songs are not so punchy um, mm, and a bit more yeah. drawn out. And so I think those bluegrass versions made a much better impression on me. Not sure what it is, but I do. Yeah. I do just relate to those ones a lot better. They, they, they speak to me more. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and when you see him perform, like all around you, for example, it's it's always that more orchestral version of it, which mm. is a shame because I like it as a bluegrass song, and he doesn't often play it as a bluegrass song live. Right. Yeah. Um. And the, you, you like the saxophone on it, though, don't you? On the on the album. Yeah. I, yeah. So the, as standalone pieces, um, you know, aside from the song. Like even if we look at all around you, yeah, I really like the saxophone on it. Mm-hmm. Again, just uh, you know, it's great that he's he's throwing in these other instruments that are just not really yeah, there's not really found much in, uh, in in country music, and it's not it's a, a lot of Sailor's Guide to Earth does not sound like country music. No, um, and the the only thing that a non-country fan would would hold on to is the fact that he's got a thick Kentucky accent, and I think that mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that regardless yeah. of what he sings, his voice portrays more of a country sound i think a lot of people in in the uk anyway they they think country just means you've got a thick southern accent yeah <laughs> yeah i think you're right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but um but yeah it's 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 one of those albums where it's like country doesn't have a particular sound really because this yeah. is country and it sounds really different to what you'd expect country to be or what i expected a country to be yeah yeah really nice and and also he has a Nirvana cover in it as well. Oh yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? I like it. I really yeah. like it. Um, he does. So he does in bloom. Uh, in case people don't know, he does in bloom, which is by Nirvana, and I like it because he doesn't he doesn't play it at all like Nirvana does. He doesn't play it at all. He does it very like gently Nirvana. and tenderly, and yeah, it's it's it feels like his own song in a way. Mm. It definitely does. Yeah, he's he's. It's a hundred percent his own version, which I love in a cover. I love that. It's it's the worst thing when someone does a cover of a song and it sounds like the original. Mm. There's no point yeah. in doing a cover then, is there? I'll just sound listen to the original. Yeah, yeah. But he's definitely made it his own. I don't love it. Uh, yeah, I don't love it. It's a bit too slow for me. I like the the chorus in it, and I like the way he delivers the chorus as well. And I can actually hear the words. Like mm. I, don't, I think that I don't. Even, <laughs> I think I don't even before listening to Sturgill Simpson sing in Bloom. I'm fairly certain I was getting the words wrong. <laughs> yeah, he um he also got the words wrong 
uh, the lyrics wrong by accident. Oh, did he? He put yeah. There was this there was this whole thing. Um, he had to get permission from the Cobain estate. Okay. To use the song the way that he did because he recorded it and he, he got the words a little bit wrong. Do you know which bits he got wrong or not? It was uh, I think it's you know in the chorus where he says don't know what it means. He oh. says don't know what it means to love someone. But right. the the original version, the original Nirvana is don't know what it means. I'll say or something. What is it? What is oh, it? maybe that's why I, I don't know, but maybe that's why I thought I was always getting the lyrics wrong because I'm hearing him say very clearly, "You don't know what it means to love someone." Yeah, and that I was, was thinking, "Oh, that's not what I thought the lyrics were." So great, thanks. I can now hear your voice, and that's, that's <laughs> what the lyrics are. So maybe it's that was a mis- that was a mistake of Sturgill. Oh right. Yeah, he should have played it off as it's not a mistake. This is just uh, this is how I'm doing it. Yeah, Cobain just um, can't sing properly. <laughs> yeah, you, you, do you know uh, Weird Al Yankovic? Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, a smells like Teen Spirit parody, and and oh Cobain at some point he's got loads of marbles in his mouth <laughs> just because of the way he sings. <laughs> and, he, and in the video, he's just spitting them all out like his cheeks are just bulging. Like, <laughs> did you? I don't know if you saw. Uh, I posted this on Twitter a few months ago. That there's a, there's a children's songs album out there somewhere. It's got a duet with Weird Al Yankovic and Kate Winslet on it. <laughs> wow, that's different. Yeah, it's really odd. Um, it's on like a it's a CD of uh, children's songs. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> okay, fun. I will definitely Google it. Yeah, it sounds like my kind of thing. Just one last thing on uh, on dedications. Um, since we're looking at that, so the Ballad of Dude and Juanita, we need to talk about that a little bit. So it's not a true history, as we as we said, it's fictional backgrounds for for real people. Mm-hmm. They are his maternal grandparents. So yeah, he's he's basically dedicated that album to them. The sound of the album is a real return to his country roots, like his pure country roots, and it feels like a close to his five album run that he speaks of. So have you seen him talk about this five album run? Yeah, um, which is a bit weird because Cut and Grass are legitimate studio albums, but whatever. He he doesn't see Cut and Grasses, I and mean, it's not original material. So he talks about how he always had uh, a five album plan. It was it was going to be five albums, and then he was done as a as a solo artist. And so the Ballad of Dude and Juanita is 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 the last of those five albums, right? And it feels like that's been well planned. Really, it does feel like a journey because High Top Mountain and and Ballad of Dude and Juanita kind of tie in together a little bit, and in between, yeah. there's this real roller coaster that he builds up to. You know, with each each album getting more and more, I don't know, just getting bigger. You know, the 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 strings and the horns on the Sailor's Guide to Earth is so much a bigger sound than Metamodern, which is also more experimental than High Top Mountain. And then Sound mm. and Fury is just like a, a force of nature. Yeah, it's, I think it's quite cleverly done. If it was a big master plan. Yeah, I, I can see it being a master plan. If it if it was, that would make sense. Dude the whole Anita is very, it, it feels very classic, traditional country. Yeah, it's real mountain um, music. But, yeah, but then there's the whole concept album idea, you know, the telling of telling a story. You know, that's a little bit of a interesting slant, I guess, that can divide people. Dude and Juanita is probably the first album that he's referred to as a concept album, but he's not mm. new to that that concept, as it were. You know, the, the Sound and Fury is okay. So the anime was was developed. So for listeners, Sound and Fury is his fourth album had uh, an anime movie released at the same time that could be played in the background and it covers the full length of the album. That anime movie was written after the album was written. So Mm -hmm. 
you know, Sound and Fury is not a concept album, but it does follow a story now. It may not have been written with that story in mind. Hmm, I think that's mm-hmm. maybe a grey area. Sailor's Guide to Earth, it's conceptual. It may not be a story from beginning to end, but the whole album is a, is a letter to his son, teaching him morals and, and lessons for life. That's a concept album. I guess if there's a central theme, you could argue it's a concept album. Yeah, I think so. Some people throw the concept album label everywhere like you know stevie wonder's songs of the key of life like people say oh that's a concept album because it's about life yeah it's like but every song is about something completely different so it's not really an underlying theme (laughs) yeah i think i think sturgill simpson does it differently i think he does approach each album with it may not be it may not be with a story that ties every song in together but he definitely approaches each album with an individual and flavor, you know, and, and injects mm. that into the whole album. Yeah, uh, which is why you know it'd be it'd be interesting to see him live where he plays songs from all those albums together because I I mm. can't imagine you would be able to keep the the flavor that that particular album has when playing it yeah. live. Yeah, true. I mean, especially with a, a story, an underlying story. Yeah, you know, because you want it to be played start to finish. Totally. Yeah. Really, you know. So if you've got if you're just playing, you know, the song Shamrock, which is or is it, is it called Shamrock about the mule? Well, there's there's a song about his 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 mule anyway. Just out of the blue, it might sound a bit a bit obscure in it in a concert. Or the or the the song about his dog dying. Sorry, spoilers. Yeah, yeah it's it, not, it, it not was... maybe sound a bit obscure. I think it would definitely sound a bit off kilter. The album's set during the Civil War, and he has done a really good job of conveying that. Like you feel like mm. you're you're in that time in history. So yeah, it would feel odd to be at a show where he's playing stuff from Sound and Fury. And then he throws in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, you're killing it. Two for two. <laughs> two out of two. It's question three. In 2017, Sturgill was found busking for ACLU donations outside which event in Nashville? I haven't actually got a clue, and I'm not even going to guess. <gasps> really? You I'll embarrass myself. I might have, but it's gone out of my head. Okay. This was he was outside the CMAs, the Country Music Awards. Ah, okay. So yes, for Matt and and for the others that that didn't know about this, what the the CMAs were on in Nashville, two thousand seventeen, and in the crowds out on the street outside the the exhibition center where they were holding it, Sturgill Simpson was there with a the guitar case open, just busking. Oh, and nice. He had a sign up uh, that said, "I don't take requests, but I take questions about anything you want to talk about because fascism sucks." <laughs> wow. And uh, someone was. Uh, live streaming it actually a, a reporter there was a journalist there live streaming it and he was taking questions from online and he was answering people's questions and uh, he was busking for money and that money was going to the ACLU who are the American Civil Liberties Union hmm. and they're a non-profit who defends civil rights essentially wow okay um, through like, litigation lobbying etc so fairly noble cause but I don't know much about it so you, if you disagree don't don't shout at me so yeah pretty cool yeah he didn't uh, so there's Lots of videos of it online. Um, he didn't attract a massive crowd, which is really strange considering where he was. You know, he was outside the Country Music Awards and he didn't have thousands of people around him. He had like a handful of people. <laughs> mm. uh, there was a reporter there asking him questions and he was posting those on Facebook Live and he was just being just being Sturgill, really, um, being very outspoken, not afraid to piss people off. And uh, yeah, it's kind of cool that he did that, I think. Yeah, I guess people just didn't expect a big star to be busking outside outside the awards yeah i mean i'm sure lots of people walked past and just thought there was a guy busking there and not realized who it was yeah, yeah and i guess cool. um i guess 
even if there wasn't many people there, he still raised a lot of awareness of his cause. Yeah, I think so. He wasn't uh, invited to the CIA's that year. You know, the, the reporter <laughs> Is that why he did it? Was, well, the reporter was kind of asking that, kept asking, like, are you annoyed that you didn't get invited, that you weren't nominated for anything? And so this, uh, I mean, it's got, got quite a bit to say on this, actually, so we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more in some other situations. But this particular situation is on the same vein of he thinks that certain awards ceremonies like the CMAs, the ACM awards, they favour certain types of artists. He certainly thinks that, you know, a sentence that he's used a number of times is that you have an, if you have an opinion, then you're no longer considered. So your music mm. can't give any opinions. Like, right. Uh, and so he feels that he's not considered, he, he doesn't get given CMA awards, uh, ACMs, because his music gives an opinion and they don't like that. They want you to be mm. bland and pop. So, yeah, he's, he's pretty outspoken about, about particularly those two awards. Right. I was going to say, when, you, when he says, like, fascism sucks, I wonder if he was referring to the awards being fascist. I think so. He also hates Trump, so... Okay. Um, yeah, it could be that as well. <laughs> um, he did, he made a very, a now infamous tweet about the Mel Haggard Spirit Award that the ACM introduced. It was very angry, but it was eloquent. So it was quite a long tweet. It was a number of tweets um, that he wrote a long blurb about the Mel Haggard Spirit Award, which was a, a new award that the ACM had introduced one year. And he was quite angry about it because he said it was not in the spirit of Mel Haggard, who was a friend of his uh, later in life and uh, a musician that he really looked up to. And he felt that, that Mel Haggard would not have been aligned with them giving this Mel Haggard Spirit Award. So he mm. said, uh, and this is just a small, a small quote, uh, a small excerpt from what he said. I'm writing this because I want to go on record and say I find it utterly disgusting the way everybody on Music Row is coming up with any reason they can to hitch their wagon to his name as Mel Haggard, while knowing full and damn well what he thought about them. If the ACM wants to actually celebrate the legacy and music of Merle Haggard, they should start dedicating their programs to more actual country music. Mm. That's all I've got. Okay. He doesn't. He doesn't name names, but he basically seems to have an issue with the uh, the nature of the ACM, sort of disingenuous nature of the ACM, and specifically around the types of artists that they choose to promote. Mm. And, uh, yeah, he um he has got a lot of opinions about you know the whole industry. He's saying that the Grammys have got secret committees. Yeah, um, I, don't, and, I don't. Which I don't think is entirely false. <laughs> I know, but he, he said. I mean, yeah, true. But I mean, he's saying that like they were trying to basically play him, and they were really angry, especially with his Sound and Fury project, <laughs> the whole thing. Right. They didn't like it, but I think he he also said on Rogan that he he specifically asked to have it written in his contract that no one can tell him what to do. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that can work because that's basically what a contract is: is them telling you what you can do. But he said, he said I had to make. I made sure that it was contractually written that nobody can tell me what to do. You mean his his contract with Electra or Warner? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, with well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Good question. He, he yeah, was just he, talking. He was talking about a contract. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, he really dislikes many aspects of the music industry, but it's hard to know where he developed that hatred. Uh, because he's only released two of his albums on major labels, and the second of those albums is not a major label. It was Elektra, like I say. Which mm -hmm. I mean, they're owned by Warner, but it's a it's a subsidiary of Warner, smaller subsidiary. Mm, yeah. His first two albums were um, you know, released on High Top Mountain. Don't know who they who they published uh, the Sunday Valley album through, but yeah, it seems that he's he's got a big hatred for the industry, but not had that much to do with the the 
the big nasty names. Mm. He, he yeah. talked he talked a bit about how he made certain decisions on the creation of Sound and Fury just to piss off the label. Mm. And I don't know yeah. how true that is, but it certainly suggests that you know all his hatred for the major labels was based off one album, and one album that won him several awards and mm. was number one in the country album charts and number three in the US album charts. So I mean. But that yeah. album has done very well for him. <laughs> yeah, and in in the anime, did you see the anime? I didn't. No. There's um there's some parts of it where I think oh actually he's referencing the music industry there. Yeah. Like there's some really grotesque business people who are really disgusting. Like, you know, the huge fat people that are being carried by little slaves, and they've got like pipes coming out of their body and. You know, they're basically chucking money at things and they're just laughing and cackling. And yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it's a bit, you know, you just wonder because yeah. he wrote the story. Well, I think he wrote the, I think he, he wrote the idea, like some ideas, but he let the, the artists run with a lot of it, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, he wrote the main story, but then, but then I don't think there really is a story. I mean, there's, there's themes for each song, mm-hmm. but, but there's, there seems to be like a few stories all happening together. Or just little scenes, so I don't really know what the story is, and I've been trying to look it up, and I can't find it. <laughs> See, I understood that he so the full the full background of Sound and Fury was he'd written the album, and a friend of his who uh, now lives in Japan and works I don't know if he's an artist or he just works somewhere in the film industry and, and anime. He'd asked this guy if he would uh, like to do a video for one of the songs on Sound and Fury. I don't know which song it was. So they'd, they'd got together on that, and uh, in discussing that, they came up with the idea of why, why don't we just do the whole album? Just do one full feature-length movie for the whole album. And his friend had said, okay, well, what, what artists do you like? What, what animes do you like? Just to give us an idea of what kind of style. And Sturgill named a couple of, uh, couple of uh, films that he liked, and yeah. they just so happened to, to know the artists that did them. Yeah. And so he got the artists that, that he loved, and he did have a, an idea for a story, which he gave to them. But he, I think he gave them a lot, of, a lot of free reign on that and said, you know, whatever works for you and whatever you think is going to be right, just go for it. Um, mm. yeah, that's, that's my understanding, that he, he, let them, he let them run with yeah. it a lot. And so there were a yeah. lot of things in there that, that weren't his idea necessarily, but he obviously approved of. Um, yeah. He has, he has a, a fr- good friend who is a anime voiceover actor in japan and that was his link and then he managed to talk to some guy i think he's like a big producer anime producer um but yeah he he managed to get the the artists from the animes that he really likes kamikaze duga the the studio um who who are most famous i think for doing jojo's bizarre adventure which is a very popular anime oh even i've heard of that yeah Getting down with the kids. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so it's yeah, it's really fun. I really like it. It's it's really cool. What do you think so, of um, Sound and Fury as an album? I love Sound and Fury. I absolutely love it. I I could have it on really loud and listen to it all the time. Like there's really great songs on it. I love. I just love the whole thing. I really do. Yeah. Um. Even without the anime, because I'm a, I'm a big anime fan. It's just so, it's just so good. I just love listening to it. I was listening to it like, wow, this is really smart. This just doesn't sound like anything I expected from from who who made uh, High Top Mountain. Yeah, listening to listening to High Top Mountain and then Sound and Fury afterwards, it's like a different musician. A completely. It's different totally artist. different. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah, 
I, I think I he builds it. towards it with with Metamodern and, and Sailor's Guide to Earth. I think he builds up to Sound and Fury mm. to a certain extent. He calls the the anim the anime the Sound and Fury anime a futuristic yojimbo, and yojimbo is a famous Japanese film by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, they had a lot of Akira Kurosawa films on in the studio when they were doing the the album. Uh, they had them on mm. silent while making the record to help with their mood because they're just like classic oh, right. films, like samurai films. A lot of them, a lot of them are very historic. Um, but Yojimbo was uh, remade into the film A Fistful of Dollars. Have oh, you heard of that? Right. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. And but it was an unofficial remake, and because <laughs> because they didn't ask permission, it led to a successful lawsuit. All oh, right. Um, but it's interesting, you know, that it's it's a country star who's done an anime based on a movie that inspired a western. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like um, Kurosawa also did um, Seven Samurai, which was turned into the Magnificent Seven. Interesting. You know, so there there is this east and west uh, link there. <laughs> it's quite yeah. quite interesting. Cool. That okay. is question three. Question okay. four. Who produced Cut and Grass Volume One? Oh, who who produced it? I thought, I thought, I thought he produced it. Did well, he not? Produce he did. It? He co-produced it with another person. Oh, so I, I am right. <laughs> <laughs> I get the point. Oh God, am I? I'm going to have to give you half a point as that. That is technically half a point, isn't it? But you know that's not what I meant. <laughs> no. <laughs> You asked me who produced it, and I told okay, you something that was true. Well, no, you gave me half an answer then. And since we don't well, get half go. points, like... Well, well I'm, we're changing the rules now. It was produced by David Ferguson, also known okay. as Ferg. Sturge says, The Ferg is a bona fide card-carrying legend, hillbilly genius. And when he talks, you better shut up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, David Ferguson. That's so, cool. Uh, yeah, so David Ferguson uh, worked at the butcher shop. Which is the recording studio where <laughs> I was going to say, like he he was <laughs> a butcher <laughs> shop, like that's quite a quite he a career at a local butcher shop in in Jackson. Uh, <laughs> so Cutting Grass was was recorded at the butcher shop, and the recording studio, the butcher shop, was owned by Dave Ferguson and John Prine. And so it's it was one of those things where it's one of those recording studios where if you record at the butcher shop, you pretty much get Dave Ferguson as a as part of the package. Okay. So um, yeah, he's the he's the resident producer there. He's the butcher. He's, yeah, maybe maybe they called him that. I don't know. But uh, he's not going to be the butcher, but he's a bona fide card-carrying legendary hillbilly genius, apparently. What does card-carrying cool. mean? I guess it just means that he's legit. Okay. I don't think he's literally got a card that says hillbilly genius on it. It's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird phrase, isn't it? Well, maybe he does. I don't know. Like, Here's my card. Hillbilly genius. <laughs> here's my number. <laughs> Call me if you need a butcher. <laughs> Uh, some cool artists have recorded at um, at the butcher shop over time. Sturgill, John Prine, obviously, because it was set up by like, John Prine and, and Dave Ferguson. Margot Price right. and Tyler Childers. And Jake Bug. Do you know Jake Bug? Yes. Yeah, I don't know how he ended up recording there, but yeah, Jake Bug recorded That's there. random. Yeah, I remember Jake Bug, Bug like a few years ago. He had, oh, what was it? A weird little song about lightning. <laughs> a weird little song. <laughs> struggling. <laughs> Something about getting struck by lightning or something, anyway. Jake We're not Bug's do one of Jane. those artists, like um, until the Paula Cole episode where I talked about Billie Eilish. He's one of those yeah. artists where I know his name, and his name is... Yeah, I've seen his name for years now. Couldn't name a single song by him. Hmm. Yeah, I guess he was probably on the Rolling Stones' top songs. List. Oh, I'm sure he was there. Uh, um, can I say, um, 
part of the reason <laughs> yeah sorry we're talking about james bog here <laughs> um i thought i was thinking like he self-produced it because he has said negative things about dave cobb the producer from the first two albums has he i didn't know that um, yeah so i've got a quote from sturgill i don't really ever want to work with a producer again having done it and knowing what a struggle it can be because they all have their agenda which is trying to make money or sell this commercialized version of what they think you are dave cobb worked on metamodern but those songs were carved out when we were on the road with my band he got all the credit and career from it but that's my album anybody that's heard my last few records i think that's pretty clear mm, yeah i don't know look uh, i like dave cobb and he's a great producer. He's produced yeah. some phenomenal albums. And in fact, loads of albums that I really love, like Carolina Confessions, Marcus King, we talked about in the last episode, Colton mm. Wall's first album. Traveller by Chris Stapleton was, was produced by Dave Cobb. He's a really cool guy. If you get a chance, listen to one of Rick Rubin's uh, Broken Record podcasts. He did an episode with Dave Cobb. Really cool guy. Yeah, he's not, he's not, um, he's not wearing a crown or anything and, and acting like he's better. You know, and, and I think that the comments there by, by Sturgill, which I hadn't read those comments, actually, sounds like a little bit like he's undermining the, the, the value of having a producer. You know, yeah. there's, no one is thinking that Dave Cobb wrote those songs. That's not what people are thinking. We know they're Sturgill Simpson songs, mm. but production is not, it's not about you know, the song quality. It's about how well we can get these songs to people's ears. Yeah, it feels like he's, he's kind of missing the point a little bit. Maybe, maybe that was during his particularly bitter time. Maybe. When he was very bitter about everybody. Dave Cobb has said and... some really nice things about Sturgill Simpson. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I've got, I've got a quote here from Dave Cobb saying, Sturgill knows more about music than most people on the planet. Not just country, he's an R&B expert, folk, bluegrass. Yeah, so he said some really nice stuff about, about Sturgill. Back, back to Dave Ferguson. I don't want to skim over Dave Ferguson because... Um, mm. So, actually, not Dave Ferguson, but let's talk about the butcher shop. So the butcher shop recording studio. It was originally a slaughterhouse. Shock horror. <laughs> Wow. Uh, that's how it got nice. its name. Um, so okay, the, that's cool. The, the slaughterhouse closed in the 70s, and then I think it crumbled for 20 years. And then in the 90s, it was renovated and used for a number of non-profits and small businesses. And then in the early 2000s, Dave Ferguson and John Prine bought it and slowly built it into what it is. Well, not what it is, what it was, sorry, because sadly it was demolished this year in April. Oh, right. Um, yeah, and, and Sturgill Simpson was the last person to ever record anything uh, in, the, in the butcher shop. Mm. He recorded a cover of John Prine's Paradise for a compilation of John Prine covers uh, to tribute uh, John Prine. And I think that's coming out later this year. I don't think it's out mm -hmm. yet. But yeah, so there you go. It's a bit about the butcher shop. Mm. John, Prine okay. and, um, John Prine and Sergio Simpson were, uh, were pretty good friends towards the end of John Prine's life. Yeah. Do you know, wow. And do you know what he, what he gave to, uh, to Sturgill in his will? No. Well, he left, he left Sturgill Simpson his 2008 Porsche 911 Turbo. Wow, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool, yeah. Nice. Yeah, Cutting Grass, they're really enjoyable. I really like them a lot. Yeah. the uh, I prefer Volume 1. I think Volume 2, just the, the, the type of songs that have been selected for Volume 2 and the ones that were selected for Volume 1, for me, make Volume mm. 1 a bit more. Uh, I just I like that one a bit better. Yeah. It was also not, it wasn't recorded in the butcher shop, I don't think, was it, Volume 2? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Here. It was it was recorded in a bakery. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> you know what the um, the album cover is based on? Oh no, I don't. It's <laughs> I thought this would be one of the questions, so I looked it up. It's based on a can of beer called In the Cut Land Beer. Oh, Land right. Beer, spelled L-A-N-D-B-I-E-R. Um, a country lager. 
So if you Google in the cut land beer, you'll see the can, the packaging and the font and, and the picture of a lawnmower. It's all exactly the same. I'm going to Google it now. I've got to see this. Oh yeah, it's almost exactly the same, really. Yeah, the the colours, I mean, the yellow and the green, and it's got the it's got the ride on in the middle. Yeah, it, it can't be a coincidence. <laughs> no, it's definitely not a coincidence. Oh, good one. You should be doing the there questions for the next episode. Yeah, so you you come out with all these amazing facts about family and and lovely people, and and I come out with like stuff about beer cans. Well, it's important. It's important stuff to get a yeah. a, a rounded a rounded description of the man. <laughs> question five. How many Grammys has Sturgill Simpson won? He's won one. Well done. <laughs> one. Yeah. Best country album for Sailor's Guide to Earth. Brilliant. At the 59th Grammy Awards ceremony. And I, I suspected that you'd come up with something about the Grammys because I know you're quite opinionated about it. I think I just got into that reading about Sturgill Simpson. I got into a bit of a rabbit hole and, and did some diving on Grammys generally. But yeah, he was nominated that same year for Album of the Year as well. Yeah, it's crazy that country still doesn't translate to, to the UK when Album of the Year at the Grammys, one of the nominations is, is, a, is a country album. Mm. Yeah. Um, the big one, in my opinion, though, was 2020. He was nominated for Best Rock Album for Sound and Fury. Mm. Yeah. So I've got a it's bit to say about this. <laughs> it's, definitely a, it's definitely a rock album. It is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it is. It's not country. It's not country. It's a good rock album. Mm. Best rock album that was released in the whole year? Not sure it was. And what, what also annoyed me was, so I thought that, okay, there's, there's a lot of amazing rock musicians out there, right? Mm-hmm. Sound of Fury is a good album, and I would say it is a rock album. It's not the best rock album of the year 2020. So I thought, let's have a look at who he was up against, right? So you've got four nominations. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, so The Strokes won. The Strokes are a legitimate rock band. Also on the list, though, alongside Sturgill Simpson, was Michael Kiwanuka with his album Kiwanuka. Uh-huh. Now, I don't, it doesn't matter what direction your ears face, that album is not a rock album. He's not a rock artist, and that's not a rock album. Mm. I, I took a listen to about the first three tracks, and then I was angry, and so I stopped listening. <laughs> angry. Um, I'm going to have to have a listen and talk about that next time, so I can have an opinion, because I don't. So how um, are they, I think, we, I think I asked you this a couple of weeks back, and we didn't know the answer, but did, how are they coming up with the nominations for... For the Grammys, it's a panel, right? It's people. There's a there's a recording academy. I guess that's a bit like the uh, you know the film academy for the the Oscars. Mm. The Grammy winners are determined by the artists, musicians, songwriters, and producers' peers. Or so I've read on Google. Mm-hmm. But you know, so don't people. don't take so it's, 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 don't it's take my panels, word for it. It's panels of people. It's panels of people. Yeah. I just think putting Michael Kiwanuka on the, in the category for best rock album shows that a you aren't into rock music. You you okay. haven't got an understanding of what what rock music has been made in that that twelve month period. And I'm um, I'm just looking this up. So the Recording Academy's voting membership is comprised solely of music creators, including artists, engineers, producers, and songwriters. So it really it really could be their peers. Right. If anyone knows why Kiwanuka was nominated for for best rock album, please please get in touch. You're very uh, cross about this, aren't you? I think that I think I'd be. What I wanted to see was um, that Sound and Fury was was nominated up against, um, you know, The Strokes, Foo Fighters, whoever else had an album out in 2020. Do you know what I mean? Like real legitimate rock bands. And then I would have gone, wow, that's really impressive, Sturgill, that, that, you know, as a a crossover artist to come from another genre. Two years ago, you won a Grammy for um, Best Country Album, and now you're getting nominated against rock greats 
as for best mm. rock album. But to be up against Michael Kiwanuka, who just just so you know, I think is a really a really great artist, really talented mm. chap, but he's not a rock musician, and that's not a rock album. Is there another category that he would have been better suited for? Did they think that? That's the best category that he could be in. Well, then they need to make more categories. Then you can't, you can't say, <laughs> you can't say that. Oh, this is a great album. We need to fit it in somewhere. Let's just put it in best rock album. I agree, but but you know, over time they've added more and more categories. Mm. You know, maybe maybe they haven't got to that point yet. But also, I'm I'm quite cynical about the music industry, as you might have gathered. A part of me suspects maybe that was all about promoting an artist trying to get yeah trying to get him in the you know in the limelight for american audiences have you heard of the grammy effect no so the grammy effect is is a thing but annoyingly there's now an organization called the grammy effect so when you google it you you have to bypass the organization but the grammy effect is this this idea that the grammy awards have a positive impact on music sales for nominated and winning artists yeah um, okay so sturgill for example uh, the day after his Grammy win, he saw a 346% increase in streaming of his music. Yeah. Which is um, pretty modest compared to some of the big ones. So the biggest one I found online, which is hard to get your head around, but I'm not a mathematician, so maybe it's actually not that, it's not as impressive as it looks on paper, but Beck won Album of the Year for Morning Phase. The following Mm. day, he saw a 35,000% increase in sales of the album Heart. Uh, sorry, yeah. the single Heart is a Drum, which is the single from the album Morning Phase. Yeah, but if you think about it, like you, you don't, I guess you don't really have to do much promotion. Uh, you just make sure that your album is nominated in the Grammys. Mm. And that's already promotion in itself, isn't it? Because so yeah. lots of people follow it. Definitely. And, and artists that are, so the, the people that benefit most from the Grammy effect are people that are less popular before going into the Grammys. Did you yeah. did you manage to catch Sturgill's performance from the 2016 Grammys? Performed no, all didn't. around you. All oh, right, you should check that out. He performed all around oh. you with the Dap Kings. I actually, I think I did watch it. Yeah. Did you read read about his about the t shirt? The t shirt that... he was wearing during the Grammys. No, well, he might have been. I can't remember, but uh, the t shirt about <laughs> that that came after the Grammys. So so the Grammys when he was nominated, a lot of people were like, "Who the f is Sturgill Simpson?" And that became a tweet and it became a hashtag. And um, then he sort of played along with it, and then it became a T-shirt. And you can buy it, and lots of people have lots of people have the uh, the T-shirt. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, and, and uh, uh, Bonnaroo in 2018, he, he wore a T-shirt that said, Who the F is asking? <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right, well, the point is, you got three out of five. Wow. Exciting. Oh, that's pretty good. I was generally not ex- ex- expecting more than one. To be honest, yeah. And I was watching. I was watching through like movies that he's been in, and oh, see, I didn't look at any of those. Uh, so what's he been in? So he's in. There's a horror movie called The Hunt, and he's <laughs> his character's called Vanilla Nice. And is this a talking part? Yeah, yeah. It's like um, it's a bit like a battle royale kind of thing where everybody's trying to kill each other. So I think he gets blown up or something. He's he's like some some hillbilly character. Also, uh, there's a film called uh, The Dead Don't Die. So it's a horror comedy, but I I didn't find it funny at all or scary. It was quite disappointing. And the theme song is by is by him, and it's called The Dead Don't Die. And it keeps on coming on during the film. So so it follows a couple of cops, uh, Bill Murray and Adam Driver. 
Oh, right. uh, in this little town. They're, they're driving around in their police car doing patrols and finding zombies. And um, the song, The Dead Don't Die, keeps coming up on the radio. And, and Adam Driver's like, oh, yeah, this is such a great song. And Bill Murray's like, oh, it's, it's terrible. And then the second time it plays, like, Bill Murray's like, oh, we've heard this already. And Adam Driver's like, yeah, because it's the theme song. <laughs> That's not funny. That's not clever. <laughs> yeah. um, and apparently he's he's a cameo of, of as, as a zombie in it, but I didn't. I didn't notice him. Um, he's going to be in a upcoming Martin Scorsese film, Killers of Flower Moon. Ooh. The bootlegger Henry Grammer. He also has said in an interview last year that he is working on a punk rock reboot of An American Werewolf in London. But uh, there's literally, he's just said that in an interview and there's, <laughs> there's nothing else about it. And and I love American Wealth in London, and I'm just like desperately trying to find some information, and there's nothing. So <laughs> I hope it's real. <laughs> he's oh yeah, he's also in another film called Materna. Um, I didn't watch it, but I watched some clips, and he's in the trailer. Uh, he's basically a but at the start, he's he's a man who's who's ranting at people on a on a subway in New York, and he he gets really angry and he starts getting violent at people. Do you think he's trying to give it a shot the acting as a legit sideline? He has said uh he doesn't consider himself an actor just a creative person seeking expression wherever that may come from. I don't know, I'll have to wait and see, but but being in a Martin Scorsese films a pretty cool thing to have on your CV. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I do like that he started his music career so late in life. Mm. Because you know like some of the guys that we've we've looked at like the like supergrass you know they're, they're literally they're not even adults at the time yeah mike Patton was 20 when he joined faith no more you know the verve very young when they started yeah um, i mean sturgeo i think was what 35 i think yeah i think so yeah mid, something like mid to late 30s yeah which is really cool because because so many artists they they start so young and he, and he just he's complete career change Absolutely, yeah. It's it's quite inspiring, really, you know, and, and he's pulled it off really well. He has pulled it off really well, and I don't think this is the last of, of Sturgill Simpson, you know. He's definitely going to do more. As you said in that, in that quote from him, he is a creative person, and, yeah, I just think he's got a lot of songs in him and a lot of ideas in him, and mm. whether that's going to be, I don't know, played out in, in his music and him performing still, or whether he'll write music for others, or whether he'll just go down some new path that we can't even comprehend. I don't know, start living on the moon and broadcasting music to, to Earth or something. Like, he'll, yeah. he'll think of something. Good for him. Alrighty, thanks, Sturge. Thanks, Sturge. We were overwhelmed with responses to our call-out to Sturgill superfans. Actually, since we started the podcast, this was the most number of people get in touch with us uh, to say they were, they were a superfan. But we did uh, have some problems. The first person that we picked arranged to speak to us and then was a no-show. And then we picked the second person. Um, boo. Yeah, big boo. And then we picked the second person who was also a no-show. And then a, a bunch of other boo. people. Yeah, double boo. And then I, I, spoke, I spoke to a bunch of other super fans after that uh, who had been in contact but then disappeared after I emailed them to say, hey, do you want to take the spot? Because we've had two no-shows. And then we eventually we eventually got in touch with uh, Shane from North Carolina, who did come onto the show, and that's, that's what you're going to hear from now. Hi, Shane. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? 
I'm very good and thank you very much for joining us. So the reason we're talking is because you are you are some form of fan of Sturgill Simpson. Correct. Well, uh, we can go with that. <laughs> we can go with that. I think it was uh, 2014 maybe. Uh, some A friend on online had wouldn't shut up about him and was posting his uh, Metamodern Sounds album probably every, I don't know, once a week, every other... Uh, every few days, whatever it was, and I finally was like, I, I need to listen to this guy and just fell into the rabbit hole from then and have been down there ever since. Mm. Have you always been into country music? Uh, off and on over the years, but yeah, uh, definitely the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, definitely got more into the uh, country music that you don't really hear on the radio, at least in my neck of the woods. Yeah, that's it. I mean, in the UK, there's no... There's no country music, sure. So it's it's fascinating to me to see people like um, you know Sturgill Simpson are winning Grammys, mm-hmm. and that's just no one's heard his name here. So it's it's mm-hmm. mind blowing how that's it's just not crossed the ocean. An Americana Award last night. He won an award last night. He won Album of the Year for the, at the Americana Awards last night for Cutting Grass Volume One. Oh, fantastic! Mm-hmm. It's, you've given away to listeners now when we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> So he's got quite a broad sound. Would, is he, would you say he's introduced you to other genres, or would you, were you already into a? Uh... I was into a lot of music, but uh, definitely he was the uh, gateway uh, for others, kind of like him that I that I've discovered since then, and have have learned a lot of about new new musicians and, and new to me music over mm-hmm. the, over that the last like I said eight or ten years. What are some of the other musicians that you, you would say are in, in kind of his uh, his playing field? Uh, definitely Tyler Childers. Um, certainly can't deny that. Uh, I think Margo Price is in there. Mm-hmm. I've listening. I'm listening to a lot of Billy Strings lately. Uh, certainly John Prine. I know. Uh, I didn't really. I hate to say it, but I didn't know John Prine very well uh, before I discovered Sturgill. Yeah. And I mean, I could go on. I could name 300 bands. I'm sure, but yeah. I don't think we have time for that today. <laughs> awesome. And would would you say that your uh, your fandom of Sturgill Simpson is anything that you know, do you, do you try to push it onto your friends all the time or what's, what's <laughs> used to? Yes, absolutely. But, uh, lately all my friends know Sturgill and, and yeah. pretty much the bulk of my friends are, are my music friends, uh, just with social distancing and, and most of my interactions with everyone is online these days. So yeah, the, the bulk of what we talk about is, is music. So is, is Sturgill Simpson a household name in the U S no, not no, by a long okay. stretch. Uh, I think a lot of folks, my mother included, uh, know him from uh, the songs he's that they've uh, had on Yellowstone, and I think that that's been a, a big uh, way for him to have built a fan base just simply based on that one one or two episodes where his music's been featured. All right. Well, look, you're here for a reason. We wanna we wanna test your Sturgill knowledge, <laughs> find out if you're a fan or a fraud. Uh, so I'm gonna hit you with five questions about uh, about Sturgill and his, um, his maybe his back catalogue or his you know outside of music work could be anything if you get five points that's five correct questions we'll give you the label of super fan uh, <laughs> and anything less than that you, you might be ousted as a, as a fraud I'll we'll crawl see. back to my hole and you, yeah. you can crawl back to wherever all the, all the other Sturgill super fans are hiding <laughs> so question one what is Simpson's first solo album, High Top Mountain, named after? I believe it's the uh, graveyard where his family's buried, that's if correct. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, cemetery near <laughs> Jackson, Kentucky. So you, you said you first got into Sturgill Simpson with Metamodern Sounds. That was when that yes. album came out. So that's quite different to High Top Mountain. 
Very much, yes, absolutely. What do you think of, of that first album? I love it. Uh, it is yeah. definitely... Uh, I, I don't have an album that I hate. A lot of folks don't like Sound and Fury or they don't like the Bluegrass. They like the original songs. But I, I am not in that camp. I very much enjoy everything the man's done. Uh, Meta Modern is always going to be my favorite because I think it was the first and got that he that introduced... Uh, that I got introduced to, but uh, yeah, I definitely have no problem with High Top Mountain whatsoever. Yeah, it's probably the most authentic true country album, I would true. say. True. Mm-hmm. Before he really started kind of experimenting and discovering his, his different sounds. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, it's a good start. One point. <laughs> Question two. This is your this is your wheelhouse now. This is Meta Modern Sounds. Mm-hmm. Who is Dude Fraley who features on Turtles All the Way Down? That's not a super fan question, but that's his granddad. Oh, is it not a super fan question? Is that I, don't think, well, I think maybe before that, uh, with before Dude Juanita came out, it may have been a little harder, but I think with right. if, if you've known the new album, then yeah. But yeah, absolutely. That's his granddad. Yeah, yeah. It's his, uh, <laughs> it's his mother's, on his mother's side, his maternal grandfather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know the sound clip I mean? Uh, where, where At says, the beginning, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Introducing meta modern sounds and country that's the music. One. music, that's music. The one. Yeah. Favorite tracks on meta modern sounds? Uh, Living the dream is is always going to be number one for me. I don't, I don't know what does it for me, but just that's always been been my favorite without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So two for two. So far, you're looking like you're you're in super fan territory. <laughs> Question three. In 2017. Sturgill was found busking for ACLU donations outside which event in Nashville? I always get these mixed up. I I think it was the ACMs, but it could have been the CMAs, and that's that's not one that I'm. Oh, you're gonna have to pick one. I know, I know. Oh man, um, gun to my head, I'm saying the CMAs. Ah, oh, yes, you got it. It was the CMAs. <laughs> <laughs> I actually you... donated to the ACLU that night. I was Did lucky you? enough to see it online. Yeah, I think I threw ten bucks their way, maybe. Oh, nice one. Might have, been, was... might have been 20, but somewhere in there. So were you watching it live? I was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and have you seen him live anyway, regardless of busking? Several times. Just saw him last week at Merle Fest, and I was oh, actually right. fortunate enough to meet him up in New York at a movie screening about a month ago. I'd taken my mom to New York uh, for a birthday trip. She had never flown before. She'd never been to New York City before and wanted to go, so we, we got there, and uh, someone, actually one of the admins from the fan group had shared that he was going to be there for a movie screening. He'd been in Materna and they did a Q&A after and um, I think I was one of maybe three or four people in the audience that knew him out of 40 in the in the crowd and uh, went up and was well, had, a, had a nice little chat with him and got some autographs and some photos and had a nice little, I don't know, five minute chat or so and went on our merry ways. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. You were lucky to have seen him um, with a voice because he's just announced yeah. yesterday, hasn't he, that he's cancelling a whole bunch of shows. Yeah, I was at the Charlotte show and, and uh, we found out from the 15th row that he wasn't going to be there. Oh, no way. When was that? Yeah. Uh, that was Sunday in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, no way. What a shame. Yeah. We, we were in town. We had about okay. a 20-minute drive up there, so it wasn't the okay. end of the world there. I, I got to see Margot Price and Government Mule and Willie Nelson. It's At the end of the day, it was not a bit. It stunk in the moment, but people get sick and it happens and oh it does but if you're you're going to see government mule and willie nelson on the same night i'd I'd be pretty happy with those two exactly (laughs) exactly and and just on the busking thing i mean he's pretty outspoken sturgill do you do you find that you agree with a lot of his social and political viewpoints or is it just his music 
I, I do. I tend to, yes, sir. Uh, I have no problem with anything that man says, and even if I do, I still like the music. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I tend to very much fall in line with, with a lot of his thinking. I wonder if he's gained or lost fans because of how outspoken. From what I see online, I don't think he's lost too many. He just continues to grow. He may not yeah. win over as many fans as he would if, if he didn't say things, but I'm at the point in my life, I don't care. We're very similar aged, and mm. if you like me or not, no big deal, and I'm I'm certain that he's, I mean, he's, he's very much said said as much in interviews and online and everything yeah. else. So. Uh, great work, Shane. Three points. So question four. Who produced Cut and Grass Volume 1? Sturgill Simpson and David Ferguson. Oh, didn't even have to think about it, did you? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> David Ferguson. Yeah, David Ferguson is really impressive. Um, is he, would you say he's a pretty well-known name? in? Um... No, he's not. I'm in, in, this, in this genre of music, absolutely. Mm. But no, you could go out on the street and ask 10 people and they would look at you sideways. They would have no idea. Do you know who produced his first couple of albums? Uh, yes, Dave Cobb. That's right, yeah. I, I really like Dave Cobb, and I, he's produced so many fantastic albums as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, brilliant. So question five. This is it now, and mm-hmm. hopefully this is still accurate. I don't know when the Grammys are held each year, but <laughs> at the time of writing <laughs> the question, question five. How many Grammys has Sturgill Simpson won? To my knowledge, one. That is correct. It is just one. Yeah, yeah. He's been nominated for four, mm-hmm. and he's only walked away with one. I pay very little mind to mm. any of them anymore. Um, I know what I like, and I know what folks like that make the music, and whether they win an award or not, if they're happy with it, then and, and fans that enjoy their music enjoy the, the new albums, then that's, that's really all that matters. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm actually inclined to agree. All right, five points, F- five questions, five points. You are indeed a super fan. Do you? <laughs> but, you but do you think they were super fan questions, or were they easy? Uh, other than the dude question, yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't think that one. It, it, had it been uh, before they announced the album, the yeah. latest album, then yeah, that probably would have fit that category too. Yeah, and and how but do you yeah, feel about that absolutely. latest album? I I cannot stop listening to it. I don't know really? how many times. Yes, I've had to. I've made a homemade shirt that I've worn to shows, and uh, I'm not shutting up about that album. I've, I've told a lot of people about it, and I know my teenage son is getting tired of hearing it in the car. Really? Mm-hmm. What other what other uh, home crafts have you done in in relation to Sturgill Simpson? Uh, I think that's it. Honestly, I don't know. If, <laughs> I've 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 been able to raise some money for local charities uh, via some stuff that I've uh, been able to get signed or purchased that's that's uh, oh, Sturgill related. So. I've given away, or not given away. I'm given. I've given away a signed guitar that he signed at the Grammys when he won that year, and gave over three thousand dollars to a local fire department up in Kentucky. And I've got uh, when, like I said, when I met him in New York City, he signed the first dude in Juanita CD that he had seen. He was he wanted to see it because he hadn't seen the actual CD packaging yet. So he took a look at it and signed it. And I'm in the process of uh, probably going to give that away tomorrow. I think I finally raised over $1,000. So we've got $1,100 going to uh, uh, United Way uh, charitable organization up in the mountains of North Carolina after they had a devastating flood uh, back about six weeks ago. So I've been very fortunate to be able to get these things and and do this for local communities. How did you obtain the guitar? It was uh, on eBay, actually, and it was it was the Grammy uh, Music Cares Foundation. I think they just have t- a ton of artists sign different items while they're attending the ceremony, hmm. and uh, I just won the auction on eBay and, and went from there. 
That's amazing. With your charitable work, is there anything that you want to plug? My main thing in Charlotte, North Carolina, is the uh, Safe Alliance, which raises money for the local domestic violence shelter. And we raise money. We we walk in high heels. We do a Walk a Mile in Her Shoes event every April. So I put on high heels and walk up and down the street, and we we raised over $100,000 last year, so that is always one near and dear to me. And then on the music side of things, it's the Tyler Childers uh, Hickman Holler Appalachian Relief Fund that he's he and his wife are, are pushing and, and have started, and they're raising a ton of money for local charities up in Kentucky. Awesome. Hey, thanks very much for your time, Shane. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. It was very nice to meet you. So five points. Another super yeah, fan. Yeah, definitely a super fan. Well done, Shane. Yeah. He was worth the wait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, we got a lot of trouble finding Shane, and uh, yeah, I'm glad we paid off. Yeah, it would be a, be a real disappointment if uh, if our fan only got like one out of five. Oh yeah, after and, all that. Yeah, but he did he did tell me that one of the one of the questions wasn't a super fan question. If Ballad of Dude and Juanita hadn't come out, that would have been a better question. I could have reworded it as well though, perhaps. Maybe I should have said Lawrence, because his name's not Dude, is it? His name's Lawrence. If I'd have said, who's Lawrence Fraley, I think you wouldn't have got that, right? Yeah, well, what's his, what's his real name? Something like that. Yeah. Ah, damn it. <laughs> Never mind. But, um, but well done, Shane. Yeah, and, well done, uh, Shane. Yeah, he's clearly a, clearly a good fan and clearly a, a, a good guy as well. Yeah, great he's stuff with your, Great stuff with your charity work. Yeah, yeah, he's done very well. Also, you know, like so many superfans we've spoken to have actually met their idols. Hmm. Yeah. Have you met your idol? Uh, well, have I met Prince? No. Mm. No, not yet. I might have to do a séance. <laughs> That's always the funniest when you hear about like a séance or something, and it's it's never just like it's never Darren the janitor that comes through, is it? It's always the spirit of Isaac Newton or something. Yeah, yeah, or Marilyn Monroe or Michael Jackson. <laughs> Why has Darren the janitor never come through? I know. I'd like to speak to Darren the janitor. <laughs> He's probably got some tales to tell. He's probably got some I stories. I bet he does. I bet he does. Yeah. Oh, oh by the way, I, I found, um, because of the beauty of the internet, you can actually see Sturgill Simpson's vocal cords, a picture of them. I saw that today, He's, yeah. He's posted them... <laughs> on social media and you could see oh yeah they look pretty bad so mm, i yeah, thought it was you... a bit i thought it was a little bit weird it was almost it was almost trying too hard to prove to us that his voice is bad like yeah i didn't need to show that maybe there were people that didn't believe him i think that's it's what like, it is yeah so he took a picture right in his mouth yeah it's a weird picture i can't even <laughs> properly gauge what it is that i'm looking at i know i'm not, I'm not a doctor I'm like yeah. what is this it's just a weird piece of meat it looks like an eyeball inside a flesh sock. Yes, yes. A sock yeah, that's flesh maybe, with a little eyeball in it. Maybe that's what he did. He, he got an eyeball and stuck it in a flesh sock. <laughs> the old flesh sock trick. Yeah, we've all done that, you know, when we're skyping off work. I'm oh, sorry, I've got a bad vocal cords. Look at this picture. Manager never falls for it. He always goes, that's, that's just not a flesh sock, Chris. <laughs> yeah, don't try that again on me. I'm not stupid. We've all seen the flesh sock trick, Chris. Yeah. Come in. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. Um, um, but yes, thank sorry, you, Shane. Go on. But there's, there's, there's other, there's other uh, willing superfans out there. So uh, I also received some audio from superfan Karen. 
She actually sent, sent us a, an email. She said uh, she gave me a bit of background to her to her love for Sturgill. She said, once my attention was captured with the snappy lines from the song Living the Dream, uh, and then she sent me a link of uh, one of her favourite videos of Sturgill. But then you know, she's also sent me this, this audio, so t- take a listen to this. Um, I think that I can sum it up by saying that Sturgill Simpson has proved himself to be a creative genius majesty upon the planet Earth. And I believe one of the best uh, artists in music history, not just country, because he's done more than country. He's done bluegrass, he's done rock, he's done it all. So therefore, um, you know, it's like the Beatles. When someone says, I don't like the Beatles, you think, those words don't fit together in a sentence. Same thing about Sturgill, pretty sure. At least that's how I feel. There you go. Wow. That's... uh, Uh, there's a Beatles comparison there. I'm, I wasn't expecting a Beatles comparison, but, you know, everybody's different. And uh, she's clearly very passionate about Sturgill, so good yeah. good on her. Good on you, Karen. Thanks, and thanks for getting in touch. Yeah. Really, really appreciate that, the audio. If anyone ever wants yeah. to send us audio, uh, that's a surefire way to get your name mentioned on the show. Definitely, yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I would also say I spoke to various Facebook fan groups and asked for some facts, interesting points about Sturgill. And I've done this before with previous artists that we've looked at, but this time we had some we had some interesting ones that were that <laughs> I'm not sure if they're true or not, but I'll I'll talk through them. Okay, he's a, he's a man of mystery. You never know. You never know. So I haven't fact checked these. These could be these could be real. These could be a prank. Who knows? Ready, Chris? Born ready. Uh, so first person said he's a CIA operative using his tours to take out targets around the globe. <laughs> that sounds that sounds legit. And next one, I had to have facial reconstruction surgery after seeing him perform Ronin live in Asheville. Hashtag <laughs> worth it. What happened to this person's face? <laughs> <laughs> I, all I've got here is that he had, uh, they had to have facial reconstruction surgery. Oh, um, he's known to melt faces. Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. It's just, he's known to melt faces playing the song Ronin. So. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's science. Yeah. Yeah, that is scientific. Okay. Um, this one was like a little conversation between two people. So... The first guy said he once defeated Chuck Norris at fun wrestling through Zoom. <laughs> Someone replied and said, however, in the rematch, Chuck Norris's beard won handily. They're and then the bunch, first... aren't they, Sturgill fans? Yeah, and then the first guy said, but Stu's comb-over won the match. <laughs> so I didn't, know Sturgill, I didn't know Sturgill had a comb-over. I heard him say that he gets his hair cut once a year. Right. So by the end of each year, he's got he's got a bit of a mop, and then he gets it cut short again. So that's why you oh, see okay. in in diff, yeah different times a year he he has sometimes he has longer hair, sometimes he's shorter hair. Okay, right, makes sense. I mean, he could be making it all up as well. Maybe that's a lie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A few people said this. He doesn't do encores. Okay, that sounds like a fact. That sounds legit, and that's fine. Yeah, I... some people don't. It's not. Um, he's not alone no. in that. It's not my favourite. Like, it's nice to do an encore. Some people take it too far. Some people, you know, yet people that, that um, do a whole other set. I just think, well, what was the point in walking off? To build up 
suspense and anticipation. No, because sometimes you feel like it's um, it's like an obligation. Like you feel, oh, you, you've walked off far too early. Now it's like, now we have to cheer just so that you can come back on. You're going to come back on anyway because you've got another seven songs to do. Mm. True. And that seems True. like a waste of everyone's time. But when yeah. it's like the gig is definitely over, everyone's screaming, and then they come on to do one more finale song, that's a good encore. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's his, that's his reasoning behind it. You know, Maybe it's just his... a really long delay. Maybe he's just not come back yet. Yeah, his encore is going to be in a few years' time. <laughs> he's going to go gonna back turn, and do, do all those dates. Going to turn up on the stage and no one's there. Like, oh, come on, guys, why didn't you wait for me? Another one, he is a CIA assassin. Um, and someone else said he's in the CIA. So There's an awful, this... there's an awful lot of uh, CIA talk there, isn't there? Yeah, I'm wondering if it, what that's based on. If this is some kind of in-joke that they, they had against me. Or if there is something genuine behind it, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to start accusing anyone of anything. But it sounds like some of those were a joke. But enough people really? have mentioned the CIA that maybe he is a CIA agent. Who knows? As I say, I haven't fact-checked any of those. So, is the CIA like uh, like the FBI or something? Where oh no, the FBI is not like that, is it? Like, is that something people keep secret, or is that public knowledge when someone works for the CIA? I think uh, this is my my terrible knowledge coming from the UK. I, I thought the CIA was like MI5 and the FBI was like Scotland Yard. Right, okay. You know, like all the secret agents of the CIA. Okay, okay. And the FBI is like the cool police. Okay, yeah, so so he could be an undercover CIA agent and, and just, he doesn't he doesn't broadcast that. Yeah, well, well, if he, if he did, then he wouldn't be undercover, would he, so? <laughs> Touché. Yeah, so that's all the facts. You're going to stick episode. with that, are you? You're going to keep calling them facts, yeah? <laughs> that should have been one of my questions, shouldn't it? I should have dropped the dude Fraley question and asked which three letter organisation does, does Sturgill Moonlight for? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> You'd have got that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have got that. All right. Oh what a mess. Well, thank you for. Um, I don't know if I'm thanking you. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, uh, Karen, and thank you all the other super fans that got in touch. That was a really fun one. I really enjoyed that a lot. I really enjoy Sturgill's music and really happy having discovered uh, all the other albums beyond Cut and Grass, which was the only one I knew before this, and will continue to listen. You as well? Yeah, I think so. I think I'll follow his career and see what he's up to. I hope you yeah. guys, everyone at home, enjoyed it. Please join us again. We look forward to uh, doing another deep dive in a couple of weeks, um, and that will be... Bjork. Mm-hmm. Is that the correct pronunciation? I hope so. Mm. Uh, you know, you need to do a proper Icelandic accent, which I'm not going to attempt today. Maybe oh, next just time. In, just in case we lose all our, all our Icelandic listeners. Yes. <laughs> we wouldn't want that, would we? <laughs> no, no way. Yeah, thank you for joining us, and um, uh, we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Be safe. Spread the word, keep rocking. Bye bye. Tootaloo.